Hello and welcome. My name is Assad. My name is Jamie. We're two surgical trainees in the north of England, and this is the podcast that aims to dissect, to probe, to anatomize, and analyze what it is to be a surgical trainee. Welcome to It's Always Sunny in Surgery. Today we're talking about exams, which is a topic close to my heart at the moment because I've just done my part B. How do you feel? I feel like a big man. I feel uh, relieved that it's over, but um, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't want to think about it. And now, now we're doing this episode. I'm gonna have to bring <laughs> What's it called? Is it immersion therapy? Is that what it is? When you basically yeah. subject people to torture to make them overcome it. <laughs> I've been blocking it out for the last week. Just <laughs> I'm just going to probe you until you crack and then yeah. leave you fetal on the floor crying. I don't want to be a surgeon. No, no, no. We'll, we'll be gentle. Look, I feel like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really important milestone, you know. Um, and some people see it as like this fabled main quest that you have to attain. And there's a lot of stuff around it. And yeah, we should probably just delve into that. It's one of those things, you know, especially as a, a core trainee, whenever I meet someone, a consultant or a reg, it's almost the first question they ask is, what are you CT? And the second question is, have you got your exams yet? It's, it's like a constant <laughs> thing. Um, so I think it is seen as like a big milestone, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's one of those things that some people find pretty straightforward. And, you know, they go through without much problems. And some people really it, it find it quite challenging. So, yeah, hopefully this episode will just give us a chance to talk about what it's like doing the exams and as a big part of surgical training. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, like I'm a bit of a dinosaur now, so I've repressed the memory of, of the MRCS in my subconscious somewhere. And it's down there with like the time I forgot my PE kit in high school and I had to <laughs> do, do sports in my underwear or wherever it was. Or how, how is it? As a as a as a as a thing as an entity, um, I think it's like it's it's you don't quite realize bef- before you go into it how much it's going to sort of play on your life because whilst you're doing them, especially when you enter core training like I did and I didn't have the exams when I entered core training, it's constantly on your mind that you you know that they're upcoming um, and you've got to be preparing for them uh, and there's that sort of worry that things aren't going to go the right way. It, it's it, it's strange it's because I think you have a bit of a grace period after you finish med school, don't you, when, you, when you've, you've passed your finals or whatever. And for the first time in five years, you, you, you don't have any exams um, to worry about, you know, unless you go straight out and do your part A straight away. Some people do. Um, but I, 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 I was given the chance as an F1 to not think about exams for a whole year. And then it, it's difficult to suddenly, you know, get back into them and get back into the routine of um, studying for exams again. But you've got this added pressure of having a job and having the responsibilities that go with being a doctor on top of that. 
and it's almost this new part of your life where you know when you're a student you can sort of leave placement a bit early and go and study and things like that you can't do that when you're working you you raised a really interesting point there jamie so i mean i know it's only it's one person's opinion but which do you think is more in anxiety inducing or more fearful do you think finals or your mrcs well finals there i think with finals i was worried because if i failed my finals i'd have to retake the year whereas if you fail mrcs as long as you don't leave it too late all you have to do is pay another 500 quid um so there's a there's less risk involved i think yeah so you know and i think that is one of the advantages of starting early is that you 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 leave less at risk if you fail because there is you know a lot of people do fail the war i think the worry is if you if you leave it too late especially if you leave it late into core training then you know some people do end up having to spend more time in core training and not being able to progress because of exams so i think um that was the fear that if i if i failed then i'd be i'd be sort of leaving it too late so i think yeah finals were probably more scary i would say there's always this issue of contention amongst trainees in different grades and that's like when do you start your exams some people say well if you're going to do surgery just get them out of the way do it in foundation you can pass your mrcs as an f2 or whatever just do it and then some people say well look it's it's for people in surgical training so you may as well get into surgical training and then start what what do you think if you if you could do it all again differently would you have done so yeah this is a big question i i i feel i left my exams too late um and the main reason for that because when when i left med school i did sort of say to myself and lots of people said to me you know get get part a like done as soon as you can um i think if you're if you're currently pre-core training um doing your part a at least is a massive advantage if you can go into core training with your part a not only does it just take a whole load of stress off of um being a core trainee because when you get when you're core trainee uh, as we've talked about in this podcast a lot there's a lot of other things going on also the knowledge that you get from part a helps you a lot in your core training part a done before core training then it, it it's a massive sort of advantage in terms of preparation for the um demands of core training but um also it just means that you're less stressed um, and then also, I think, you know, if you do part B in core training, I think that's reasonable. And I, I think actually I've just done part B. And I think if I, it, being a core trainee is just preparation for part B in itself. So yeah, I, if, if I would, if I would go back, I would do part A earlier. Um, and then I'd leave part B until I get into core training. But you know, some people say that, that part A is like a springboard. You're halfway up the mountain and therefore yeah. you can see the summit. So you use the momentum that you've got from doing part A just to, you know, bomb it up to the top, to the summit, and then you've done. Uh, what do you think about that? Because I, I actually did that, I think. And it wasn't just by design. It just happened that way. I did my part A in January, got the results in Feb, and then just booked part B in yeah. for the May. That's what I've done. And uh, that, I think, definitely helps. Because you forget all the stuff really quickly. Because there's so much... So it's, it's with part A, it's like a it's more of a breadth of knowledge, isn't it? You can answer a question, multiple choice question, but if you asked it in a viva, you might not get it. If you know what I mean. Uh, so 
if you if you use part A like you say as a springboard, part B is much more straightforward. I think it's it's much more difficult if you leave a big gap and you have to come back and relearn a lot of the stuff which you've forgotten. That's difficult then. Is there, there's no one there's no one size fits all, is there? No, no, no. Some people may find like a break in between is, is good, but I, I think certainly like when I did my part B, um, there were some questions that came up that I hadn't studied for the part B exam. I just remembered from when I studied it for part A. It just it was it was still there. How did you actually study for it? And the reason I ask this is because the resources that I had, I mean, it's nearly been a decade since I've done mine, but all people said was just get a question bank, spam the questions, that's it. And then some other resources, get this book for part B and then do this course and then you'll be fine. And that that was the sum total of, of what was A, what was out there, B, the advice that people said to follow. So I sort of just naively did that. How, what what did you use? What's out there, and what do you think was worthwhile? So the way I think about it, what you kind of alluded to is probably a good summary of it. The part A, and I've heard someone say this before, and it makes a lot of sense. It, it's it's all about exposure. So if you can expose yourself to as much information as possible, um, uh, then you've got a good chance. You know, you've got to, you've got to sort of, um, use your time wisely and spread your time quite nicely across the areas. One of the dangers is that some people, they'll go in having learnt their anatomy really well and they've neglected certain parts. Um, so that's why the question bank is quite good because they, if you, if you stick to them, they, they force you to revise all the topics because there will be topics that you <laughs> don't want to do because you don't like them or whatever, but you know, you, you will lose marks if you don't learn them. I read one textbook sort of like cover to cover and didn't really absorb all of it but it was quite nice to just have it especially when it comes to the physiology and the pathology to just like make sure that you actually understand the topics because there is a danger when you're doing the question banks and you're just given like the answer you may learn that little bit of information but you may not understand the bigger topic so when it comes to part b it's much more complex i think because it's you need to actually like practice answering the question it's, it's only so much to know the information you actually need to be able to rehearse your answers if you know what i mean it's a survivor so it's a lot of it is, is you know how confident you are answer and, and how well you can explain the answer as well um so that's where things like courses and having a practice partner come in really useful um i did a course in whole which was really really good and it was basically just a um sort of uh, some general advice about the exam and then, um, a practice exam. Um, and it actually just made me feel a bit more confident because I knew what I was getting into and I knew what the exam was going to be like. Um, I know that there are some courses which are really expensive and some people, like their career is making part B courses. I don't know. Honestly, I've, I've heard of these courses where they do like a week of just solid lectures all the information there, you know, um, I couldn't think of anything worse to be honest, but I, I, some people might find that useful. Um, but I hear they do good results. So, um, yeah, 
a lot yeah a lot of them a lot of those examples i did look into them um but they're just so expensive but they do say that they produce um you know good pass rates and things do you know the the best thing i got out of the mrcs course was finding other people local to me that were doing the exam yeah yeah, yeah. live a group but having a practice partner is really important um just because as i say you need to be able to rehearse and you need to have like feedback as well in how you answer questions um <clears throat> and it's just it's, it's it's a good way if you push each other to to revise i think it, it it's a really um important part of the revision so i just had i only had one practice partner and we just every evening coming up to the exam we just do some questions um and it makes you feel, again it makes you feel more confident as well because you know you know you're passing these questions and, and things like that part b it's very surgical and it's much more yeah predictable as to what topics are going to come up i think yeah so what what do you think is out there like what resources do you know of um so so for part a i used emrcs which is cheap and actually very good uh the only issue is like so the anatomy stuff you, you just do the anatomy questions you can't split it up by like upper limb lower limb abdomen i also use pass test and on that one you can split it up and that was really useful um so i think for me pass test is really good for the basic sciences um because there's a lot of questions and they've got really good explanations but it's very expensive um emrcs is really cheap and it's really good for clinical stuff i, I personally just did both and that was enough questions for me again there are courses for part a I never, I didn't go on any, and I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know many people who have done. I think I know one person, but I can't really say much about those. The questions, probably just the way to go. Yeah, honestly, I, I remember just, yeah, just sit there, you know, for hours on end, hoodie up, like headphones in, just, just <laughs> doing question, 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 question. And the other thing is, you've got to use textbooks for some things, anatomy and physiology, especially. You've got to like really understand those topics and just doing the questions and just learning the answers to those questions i would suggest isn't enough what did you use for part b then because i imagine things have moved on technology has moved on in the years since i've done it um so there was basically courses and then a few sort of special textbooks so what do you think is out there what did you use and what do you think is worthwhile like actually worthwhile there are online question banks. Pass test have one. Um, again, really expensive. Um, but, uh, there's one called Pass the MRCS, which is very popular. Mm. Um, and it, it, it is good to be fair. There are others. I don't, uh, yeah, to be honest, I didn't look too much into them because, because they're quite pricey. It's unlikely you'll probably be, want to get more than one. And to be honest, I, you know, probably don't need to. Um, but there are some textbooks which are very useful. There's a green anatomy textbook, which everyone seems to rave about. I did use it. I've forgotten what it's called. I just know it is the green book. I'll, I'll try and find out what it's called. But uh, it's basically just a, a collection of anatomy vivas with questions and answers. But the content, the, the, the stuff that it covers is quite um, close to the MRCS curriculum, I think. Um, and it's, it's the it just covers some of the stuff that you perhaps overlook because it doesn't come up as much in part a the main thing that i find difficult about the anatomy in part b is the use of cross sections 
it, it's it's difficult because in part A you're just given written information, whereas you know having to identify something on a pro section is a skill in itself that you've got to learn for part B. You know, there was one resource that people really liked, um, Ackland's Atlas of Anatomy. Ackland's, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's definitely useful, especially for pro sections. You can get that with um. If you're a Royal College affiliate, I think it is it Edinburgh. They give you access to that, but to be honest, it's on, it's on YouTube. Um, is it? I don't know whether it's legally on YouTube. <laughs> it is on YouTube, but it's, it's just it's just like a big block, like two hour video for each section. Whereas if you get the if you go on the actual site, you can sort of skip a bit. That is definitely, that is definitely good. Actions, I love actions. It is a really good resource. The thing is, I was thinking about this now. Actually, it was so good that I managed to pay attention and overlook his weird accent. So Ackland was a, was a plastic <laughs> surgeon yeah, and then went to the States. So he's got this weird hybrid accent that no one really understands. When we think of the pelvis, let's think now about Eliacus. What is Eliacus? Like, who, who even says that? But I have to hand it to Robert Ackland. His pro-sections are beautiful. And 16 hours of anatomy videos really, really does help it sink in. So I think it's that they're still useful and still pertinent. Thing, um, um, I remember reading about how he did the ear, like got the ossicles and things, and how he dissected it underwater and things like that. Honestly, it's actually a really impressive resource. To, yeah. to, so I definitely use that. And I think, oh, if you do, if you use Pass the MRCS, you sign up for that. They give you access to applicants as well. There's lots of ways of getting access. Yeah. What about what about courses then? Part B courses. Do you think they're all kind of like homogenous? They're all much of a muchness, as long as they've got like a little mock exam in it. Doing a mock exam is really useful, even if you don't go on a course and you just do it with someone, you know. Um, but it was really useful to have proper feedback and and know where I was in the sort of like, am I on the track to pass or am I not? And that that was the main thing that was just useful to know. The course that I went on was it was run by um just some trainees. They did it for free. It wasn't a business thing. It was very cheap. But I think, to be honest, having just a mock exam and someone to give you some genuine um, advice about how to answer the questions is, is all you really need. Well, with that in mind, I mean, it's one thing having access to the resources, but how do you actually juggle with work? Because I, I flat, I'll be honest, I flatly don't remember doing it. Mm. So it's that is probably the most difficult thing. As I mentioned earlier, like, and you've got to try and fit it around a very busy schedule. Um, so you've got to make the most use of your time. Having study leave, I think, is essential. You need, like, a good week or so of just, you know, proper study time. Especially, I think, I think that's good to sort of start you off because it's very diff- difficult to, um, try and pull this information into your head, um, when you're just doing it in the evenings after a busy day at work, having, having some proper allocated time off, whether that's study leave or annual leave or whatever you need. Um, I had paternity leave, which is <laughs> a good, good opportunity. Um, the, then you, you can, you, I think that's, uh, that is a must. Really, it's just, you've got to be kind of committed. Um, definitely doing 
regular little bits and just keeping it going. You don't want to, what you don't want to do is do a lot of studying and then not do any for two weeks because the, the information goes out, especially anatomy. You want to continuously like keep going over it, I think, because um, that is the stuff that, that falls out of your head quite quickly. Well, I think study partners come in, in useful because it forces you, you know, because you come home from work and sometimes you, you don't want to study, but if you've already committed to studying with someone else, it's kind of a motivation. Some people are probably better than me and have um, better discipline. They're probably good at coming home and studying. I found that a bit quite difficult. Is there anything that you can do on the go, like the, the things that resources that can make your life easier? You know, you're spending half your life in, in the hospital on call. So having a question bank on your phone is really useful. Pass test, I know have an app. And you can do that. When I was doing my part B, there was a really good podcast actually called MRCS on the move, oh, right. uh, which I listened to in the car. And that was really useful. Um, and it's quite a nice way of making use because I had a, quite a long commute from my house in Liverpool all the way to Warrington. Because yeah. I think when, especially when you're, um, when you're working, obviously that takes up all your day. It's quite, it's quite nice to make the use of your time. An exam is an exam, isn't it? And it's against the set standard. And sometimes you may not always make that. And I know that I I failed my first attempt at part A, probably because I didn't really give it the respect it was due. How do you come back from that? So I failed my part A as well. <laughs> the, the first time I failed by, oh, it was something like 0.3%. Oh, that's the worst. Oh, yeah, it's. I think the hardest bit is because you you've done the exam. I, I didn't do any studying because I was waiting to find out how I passed or not. Um, and then when you find out you failed, you realise go back and do all those questions again. It it takes quite a lot of um motivation because you. I think it, you, I was I was I was really downhearted, really sort of, uh, you know fed up by that stage. And I think you've got to prepare yourself for that. So. You know, don't burn your books or anything when you've finished until you know you've passed. Like, obviously, it sounds bad. Don't prepare to fail, but pre- prepare yourself in case of failure that you, you know, you want to be able to come back from it. And a lot of people do. And I, I'd, I'd say out of the people I know, I know more people, far more people that failed the first time. Part A. It's, it, it is really disheartening. Not only do you have to fork out another 500 quid or 1000 quid if it's part B. Um, I think the hardest bit is just, you know, having to start again because you, you essentially you do, and you'll find that a lot of it you've forgotten again as well, um, because you've had a month or so of not not studying. You get in the part A result or whatever exam result, and it's not the result you want. I'm guessing that you didn't just then start studying for the next sitting immediately after. Like you probably sulk a little bit, feel a bit rubbish. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. in fact, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to think about it. But, um, but it, it, and, th- and that is the other d- difficult thing, you because you, you, you think to yourself, "Oh, I'm definitely going to pass next time," and then the weeks pass and you, you're not you're not getting back to studying for it because it, it does take a lot of motivation. Because I only failed by like 0.3 percent, 
I said to myself, oh, I only need to learn like 0.3% more. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this sort of feeling is like, I'll pass. I have to pass that course, surely. But I, I do know people who have failed by like 1% or you know very narrow margins multiple times. When I did come back to it, you know, I, it's kind of weird looking back on, I don't so much regret failing because actually I think having done it twice i studied for more i studied for longer um and therefore got more knowledge but also when i did the second time i actually passed by quite a good mark so it showed that i you know i i I had better knowledge rather than if i had you know got a couple more questions right the first time my knowledge that's good i probably would have ended up playing puppy or something yeah um so that you know you've got to look back on it and, and like that and did you feel that the disappointment you experienced with the exam result had a negative impact on your training as well? Like you carried that over across? Yeah. I mean, um, it wasn't the highlight of my training, as it were, when I failed that exam, because I felt like um, it uh, knocked my confidence a bit and, and everything that goes with that. So, um, Did you uh, find yourself doubting your abilities? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly you, you start to think, you know, because you, 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 you it's, it's, as with everything, um, you sort of tend to have the temptation to compare yourself to others. So you'll see other trainees who maybe even, um, early, earlier on in their training who have done their exams and you think, Oh, I'm still, I'm still doing my exams and I'm CT2 now. That is, um, uh, you know, not a nice feeling, yeah. but then you actually realize a lot of people, I like that and it happens it happens to a lot of trainees where um uh they get sort of further on in their training they're still they're still um trying to get their exams it's it's as a general piece of advice what I'm 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 trying to avoid um is spending too much time focusing on comparing yourself to others and I think we've touched upon this in other episodes yeah, yeah. Um, I think that is an excellent bit of advice you you always going to be met with adversity and setbacks in surgical training, and people who say they haven't are either lying or they've not had it yet, and it's in the post. Yeah, yeah. What are the benefits of doing the exam? I mean, I know it's the main thing. You can't get an ST three job yeah. without having your MRCS, but how has it made you? a better surgeon or has it made you a better surgeon um yeah no it definitely has it's almost like going back to med school um obviously you're doing it on your own but it's it it's it, it's and it, it does make you feel more confident in your practice when you so it certainly helps um not only make you a better surgeon i think but also make you feel like you're you're better um it's no more confident and part b i think is real so in particular, very good at making you more confident in terms of your general persona. I think that, you know, you know, when you're getting grilled by consultants in, in clinic or whatever, I always found that really difficult because I'm quite, I'm quite a sort of nervous, withdrawn person anyway. But part B kind of helped, you know, get into the habit of just being able to answer questions professionally and with confidence. Um, and yeah, that's quite nice. That's quite a useful skill to have, especially if you're going to work around surgeons who, who like their trainees to be confident and um, demonstrate their knowledge. 
Yeah, so um, congratulations, Mr. Russell. How does it feel? Oh, yeah, it's a massive relief, I think. Um, I think it's just, it, it feels like a massive weight off of your back, um, considering that I've been, yeah, working for these exams for over a year and a half now. Um, and it's just, it's finally like, I don't have to think about that anymore. It's, you've basically got to pass your exams in two years. Otherwise, you you, you don't get out of core training. They, 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 you have to continue it. Hmm? Yeah, it's the rate limited step, isn't it? If you don't do your MRCS, you're not getting a, a higher specialty job. Yeah, not not just that, but also it means that I'd be stuck in a core training program until I pass them. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, so for example, if I had failed um, and failed again in the summer, then I would have had to book another six month placement. Carried on doing that until I passed the exam. Ooh. I was in theatre today, um, and uh, the consultant. Uh, who I was with, someone someone said, "Oh, your results are out today, aren't they?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know when they're out." And they said, "Oh no, apparently they're out." So they they let me go for lunch, and I was like, "That's when I just ran into the bath and looked at my phone." When I came back, he was like, "Oh, you passed." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. And he said, "Oh, this is, you'll remember this day. Like, it's a it's a great feeling when you pass your MRCS. You feel like uh, lifted." And oh, he was kind of right. You do feel kind of like uplifted. You feel like um, you've kind of sort of reached a milestone in your life. It was a nice feeling. Did you uh, do anything wild, like going to sort of the ID people and saying, change my ID badge right now? <laughs> to be honest, my ID badge doesn't even say, it just says, it just says my name and vascular surgery on it. Um, but uh, I did my first op note with me as Mr. Russell. Um, it was just quite nice. They, they were like, oh, do you want me to print it out for you? You can put it in a frame. Do <laughs> 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 um, you yeah. feel that people treat you any differently now that you've got your exams. I know it's only a couple of hours, but... It, it's been over, only a few hours, but you're, you're absolutely, it, it does feel like that. The, certainly the consultants suddenly become a lot more interested. I think um, you're part of the... And I don't mean... I can't think of a better inclusive word for it, but you're part of the boys' club. And obviously, I mean, like, girls or whoever, whatever can be part of the club, but you, I'll just rephrase it. You're yeah. part of the club now. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're in the fold. Remember... Yeah, um, yeah. The, the, I think also um, they seem to take you more seriously. To give you another um, sexist phrase, it, the, the exams separate the men from the boys. Yeah. Um, you know, just because you're a coach. We for the chat. Necessary. There we go. That's all inclusive. We okay, that's that. better. Yeah, yeah, we use that. <laughs> um, yeah. It shows that you, you've got, it shows you've got the knowledge because it's yeah. very difficult to ascertain when someone has knowledge. You can ask them questions in theatre but that might not you know if you've, if you've got those exams I think it demonstrates that you've worked hard and you, you, you're, you've got that sort of background knowledge and skills um, so yeah I, I, I don't know I, I, I'll let you know in, in other episodes whether I that is sustained but for the last few hours of the day it seemed like people were yeah mm. I think the, the other thing I was thinking about today is like, when do you actually call yourself a surgeon you know when someone asks you what your job is I work in general surgery. I'm a surgical like trainee, but I wouldn't class myself as a surgeon. But if you, if you, if you've got MRCS, mm. it's I, I I don't know whether you have to also complete core training, got yourself onto an STP spot, um, before you can call yourself a surgeon. I, I don't necessarily know. You know, this is I think it's a personal thing and an individual thing, and it depends from you know person to person. But I think. 
I would probably say it's you've done your exams, so you're you're a member now. You're part of the college, and whenever you can do any procedure yourself, so maybe not like an abscess because it's sticking a knife and it draining it. But if you can do an appendectomy yourself, right, or with someone assisting you, I think you're there. I think it's fine fine to say that you're a surgeon because you, you know you've done the operation. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Do you know why people revert back to the Mr. and Miss, Mrs. Ms. titles? So... When I, you know, I asked a surgeon this once, and they said, "Well, it's because we're different from physicians," and that was his answer. <laughs> but apparently, the historical—I think—I think it's something to do with when, when historically, surgeons were um, trained as just apprentices. They didn't originally go to medical school. I think they were—they were in the same sort of shop as like barbers, um, and they so they were misters. They weren't doctors, and so it, it, to keep that tradition. And it's not, it's, I think it's particularly the UK. They don't do it in the US, I know. Exactly. exactly. So so um, I think at some point in the future, I really want to do like a history of surgery. Time. I know. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely Completely up. bonkers. So fascinating. Essentially what it boils down to is that surgeons back in the day, and what you write, were barbers. So because barbers use blades, that's, that's what they do. And you could go to your barber, they'd obviously shave, they'd take teeth out, which is why the Royal College does a lot of dental exams. And mm. with Lance Boyles, they would do things because that's what they did. And you know the, the red and white flagpole um, on barbers? That came from the bloody towels they would use to stem hemostasis. Oh, really? They would fling them out and allow them to dry off so the blood would dry. Then they would boil and sterilise them. So that's what happened. You'd become a barber, and then you'd also do some surgery. And then what happened was medicine fell in line so that you had before physicians you had apothecaries and they would go here have this eye of newt and mugworm and whatever and then people really got on the science bandwagon and thought but this is all a bit all but unregulated we should make people go through academic rigor yeah so apothecaries were the first to fall in line and then they became physicians and apothecaries. And then the Royal College of Physicians came up and then they mandated that they would have to sit a degree and get a license from the Royal College of Physicians and then become a doctor. And that was that. And then I'm not sure where, but there came a parliamentary decree that required surgeons to fall in line. So the worshipful company of barber surgeons were like, you want us to do what? We're just doers. Like we're happy go choppy. We don't know any of this stuff. And you want us to go to medical school? Yeah, you are. So, that's what happened. So you then had to, in order to do surgery, go to medical school, get a formal education, formal degree. But then or the Worshipful Company of Barbers changed their name to the Royal College of Surgeons. And if you wanted to be a surgeon, you could kind of take their exams, their licensing exams, which is the same as what physicians had to do. And then as like a middle finger to the educational establishment, they would drop the doctor title and revert back to Mr., as the kind of the humble origins of the college, but and it's just stuck. And you're right, <laughs> probably just this nation's obsession with tradition and his know, yeah. legacy 
and all that sort of stuff that that means we still hang on to it is it really necessary in the 21st century i don't know but i kind of like it you know um just trying to get people to change especially surgeons exactly and you know someone pointed out and they, they didn't know the full reason but they were like you know what every rank and file peon leaves medical school a doctor but only surgeons become mister and as you can spot us from a mile away everyone else doctor this doctor that doctor that there's no separation between you know f1 30 year consultant uh, whereas in surgery you know you're a mister miss miss whatever yeah it's clear who you are yeah yeah yeah. i think that's quite quite nice so yeah um that is exams isn't it I don't know, yeah, we've put them to bed. Yeah. yeah, I'm, 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 I'm glad you put me through that. It feels like therapy. <laughs> it can be quite cathartic, can't it? You know, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, <laughs> lie down on the couch, Jamie. Tell me how you feel. <laughs>